Grace and peace and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens and I serve as the pastor here at the church and I am delighted, grateful that you are with us today for worship, whether you're joining us on Facebook or on YouTube. We are at the end of our sermon series on that's not in the Bible and our final expression that's not in scripture that we're looking at today is love the sinner, hate the sin. Uh, starting next Sunday and for uh, a number of weeks, we're going to be going through the entire uh, book of Philippians. We'll be looking at a small section each week. So uh, if that's something that's helpful for you, you might want to pull your Bibles out and read through Philippians. It's not very long. You can read it pretty quickly uh, and get yourself immersed in the word before we prepare ourselves to look more at it starting next week and for the coming weeks after that. Uh, we've been looking, like I said, through these different things that are not in the Bible, uh, all these different expressions, and today we come to the end of our series. But before we get to all of that, I want to share with you a few announcements about things that are going on in the life of our church. Uh, today, I'm very excited, this afternoon at 4 o'clock, we're going to be gathering for a drive-in service of word and sacrament in our parking lot. Uh, it will only be 20 to 30 minutes long. There'll be prayers, scripture, a very brief homily, and communion. And we're going to be uh, offering it to those who come, who remain parked in their cars through these uh, sort of pre-packaged, sanitized communion cups that have the wafer and the grape juice combined so that we're able to share and partake communion together without fear or worry uh, about the coronavirus. So we're going to be doing that this afternoon at 4 o'clock in our church parking lot. Uh, for those of you who might not be aware, uh, the church is located at 14806 Blackburn Road in Woodbridge, Virginia. All are welcome to come and join us for the service this afternoon of word and sacrament in our parking lot. 
Uh, for the foreseeable future, we're going to continue to not have in-person worship on Sunday mornings here in the church, though we are trying to dabble this afternoon in something a little different so that we can actually see each other, even if it's just through our car windshields. As we get uh, further away from the numbers being so high in our area, we're going to consider reopening, but we're not there quite yet. Uh, one thing I want to share about the expression today, love the sinner, hate the sin, uh, there's some roots in Methodism that have to do with this. There's a, a really famous story about John Wesley, the sort of the founder of, of Methodism, that he was sent to Georgia, the state of Georgia, while it was still a colony as an Episcopal priest, a, a priest in the Anglican Church. And when he uh, got to Georgia, he fell in love with a young woman named Sophia Hopke. They courted each other. And he had basically proposed, but then he had to leave to go uh, westward and, and expand and try to evangelize those who weren't uh, on the east coast of Georgia. And when he returned, Sophia Hopke uh, had become engaged to another man and was set to marry him. Now, John Wesley was so upset about this that the following Sunday when he presided over communion, uh, he encouraged everyone to come forward and he gave communion to every person that was in the church except for Sophia Hopke because she had slighted him. Uh, what he did in that moment, it was uh, in large part what ultimately led to him getting kind of kicked out and sent back to England, uh, was that he was kind of exhibiting this love the sinner, hate the sin, uh, in a sense that he knew that he had to love her, but he hated what she did, which means that he wound up hating her, so much so that he refused to give her communion. One of the things about the United Methodist Church is we have an open table, probably in response to the fact that John didn't have an open table at a younger part of his life. Uh, but for us, one of the challenges about something like love the sin or hate the sin is it can so quickly turn to, you know, we use it as this kind of kind expression, but it can turn to really hating people for who they are, so much so that, you know, a, a priest who went on to found an entire denomination, in a sense, he refused to give communion to a child of God. And I think that's a cautionary tale for us today who rely on expressions like love the sin or hate the sin. Because when we say that, we like the love at the beginning, but mostly what we do is just hate. So with that, I encourage you to you know, perhaps close your eyes, find a comfortable posture as we continue to prepare our hearts and minds for worship this day. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful, wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I neglected to mention that we have an online bulletin that is available for you. You can find it uh, through one of the links in the video description. That online bulletin will have our scriptures for today, our hymn, uh, and, and another number of things that will be helpful for you. So if that's something you could use, feel free to open it up. Now I encourage you to please, as you're able, pray with me. Lord, you know who we are. People with good and bad consciences, satisfied and dissatisfied, sure and unsure people. Christians out of conviction and Christians out of habit. Believers, half-believers, and unbelievers. But now we are here before you. So we pray that you might open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear what you say to us today. Additionally, O Lord, we now pray to you silently or aloud, lifting up our own joys and concerns to you this day.
and as you taught us, O Lord, so now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from the gospel according to Matthew in the seventh chapter, verses one through five. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take that speck out of your eye while the log is still in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our hymn today is number 585 from the United Methodist Hymnal, This Little Light of Mine. Uh, Gloria Baltimore was able to come by the church earlier in the week, and we played this song over on the piano and drums, and my son Elijah Wolf sort of danced while we played it. So we're going to be playing and singing This Little Light of Mine. The words for this, if you need them, are in the online bulletin. But join us over on the drums and piano for This Little Light of Mine. not judge so you may not be judged. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. 
Amen. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Just sounds so Christian, doesn't it? You know, surely when Jesus was delivering his Sermon on the Mount, he summarized the whole thing by saying, love the sinner, hate the sin. Surely, if we Christians lived according to these six words, the world would be a better place. Surely, loving sinners and hating sins is what the church is supposed to do, and yet, it's not in the Bible. In my experience, when people, and by people I mean Christians, say, love the sinner, hate the sin, they are almost always referring to the LGBTQIA community. For them, it's a Christian way to say, you know, I love my lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, queer, intersex, asexual friend, but I hate that they're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, queer, intersex, or asexual. In our post-truth, post-liberal, post whatever period, love the sin or hate the sin is the means by which we can cover our real feelings all while appearing congenial toward those with whom we fundamentally disagree. However, over the last few years, I've heard Christians use the expression love the sin or hate the sin within the realm of political engagement and political disagreement. And frankly, it's been rather amazing to see how quickly the Christian coverall for conversations about the LGBTQIA community has shifted now to conversations about who or who isn't running the country. Well, I know that dirty, rotten scoundrel is going to vote for Trump again, but he's my brother, so I've got to love him. Or if Joe Biden is elected, he's going to absolutely ruin this country, but he's a Christian, so I guess I've got to try to love him. So whether it's our disagreements about who can be married or who can lead the church or who can be president, love the sin or hate the sin has become a go-to expression among church folk. Love the sinner, hate the sin. It sounds good, but in actuality, it's rather difficult to hate another person's sin alone without actually harming the sinner. Sin, can you believe that we're talking about sin in church? You know, we don't talk about it much in mainline Protestant circles anymore. We, as in pastors like me, we'd rather tell people like you to love your neighbors than to tell you to tell your neighbors that they're sinners. We'd rather skip over the hard and strange and difficult passages about condemnation than truly proclaim God's scripture, how it's still speaking new and fresh words even today. But for a long time, and I mean a really long time, sin was the thing pastors talked about. Sinners in the hands of an angry God, fire and brimstone, repent or burn forever. You know, that kind of stuff. But today, we're largely afraid of sin. And not sin as a particular set of behavioral patterns, but because talk of sin simply makes us uncomfortable. And I've heard from countless people on countless occasions how they don't want Sunday mornings to feel like a drag on top of their already difficult lives. So preachers like me, we talk about the gospel without ever mentioning sin, which is strange because you can't have or need grace without being a sinner in need of grace. It's strange because I had a professor in seminary who once lectured to us about how for every 10 sermons we preach about grace, we're only then allowed to preach one sermon about sin. So because it has been largely removed from the lexicon of church that is sin has been, we don't really know what it is anymore. In both Hebrew and Greek, the words for sin basically mean to wander from the path or to miss the mark. 
Sin is any action, thought, or behavior that divides us from God, from one another. Sin can be a choice or a lack of a choice that results in failing to do something we know we should or avoiding doing something we know we, or, or doing something we know we shouldn't. And here's the chief thing, perhaps the most important thing about sin. We all do it. All of us. From the preacher standing in front of you to every person who's listening right now, we all sin. We're all sinners. But most importantly... We are all sinners for whom Christ died. Love the sinner. Of course we're supposed to love the sinner. That's what Jesus did. The problem is that Jesus doesn't call us, his follower, to love sinners, but to love our neighbors. And the distinction there is important. It's important because if we say we're going to love sinners, it automatically enables us to view ourselves as some sort of perfect Christian hosts and we're viewing other people as wrong and bad and incomplete, which even though it's true that we're all sinners, if we say that we're going to love sinners, it tends to put us in a place of judgment where we are the righteous and they, whoever they are, are not. Loving sinners is also further problematized by the fact that we already often understand others and label others by their mistakes and their failures and their sins. Regardless when the sin might have occurred or even the frequency, we are quick to call people cheaters, adulterers, liars, and so on. Or, to put it another way, instead of seeing our neighbors as neighbors, we tend to see them through the lens of their biggest mistake. When I started at my first church, straight out of seminary, I was pretty nervous. I had a head full of ideas with no real understanding of what I had gotten myself into. Nevertheless, I found myself unpacking in my first office as a pastor with all these big, important theology books, just putting them on the shelves and looking at this desk. And I, I was trying to figure out what in the world I was going to say for my first sermon. And when I opened up the top drawer at my desk, I found a sealed envelope. And on that envelope were the words, for the new preacher. Now, up to that point, I had not had a single conversation with the pastor I was following. The pastor had recently retired and moved away, so I was entering this church completely without any knowledge of what it was like or what it would be like. And so when I found this envelope, a sealed envelope for the new preacher, it was abundantly clear that it was for me from the former pastor. So eager to glean anything I could, I ripped through, and inside I found a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper were the words, do not trust. And underneath those words were five names of people from the church. Can you imagine having no communication at all with a pastor to go into a church and the only thing you get is a list of five people do not trust. No matter how hard I tried to forget that note, no matter how hard I tried to embrace the particular individuals in spite of their names on that list, my entire perspective had been upended by those three words. Do not trust. The same thing happens when we view others as sinners first and neighbors second. And yet, of course, Christians are called to love sinners. Because in the end, that's exactly what Christ does for all of us. And all of us would do well to remember that we're in the same boat with everyone else, which is to say sinners are who we are. The best of us, the worst of us, we're all sinners. The challenge with that recognition is that we are all almost better at recognizing the sins in others before we can ever recognize the sins in ourselves. Which brings us to the second part of the statement in question today. Love the sinner, hate 
the sin. Jesus says, why do you look for the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own? And we're mighty good at seeing and pointing out the sins of others. That's what Facebook and Twitter are all about. There's just something so fun and enjoyable when we can vent about all the sinners in our midst and all the problems they're causing for the rest of us. I mean, to bring it back to the realm of politics for a moment, we've seen the Democratic and the Republican national conventions over the last two weeks with leaders from both political parties speaking publicly about who should be elected or re-elected come November. And without getting into specifics, both parties spent the majority of their conventions not talking about themselves and what they want to accomplish. Instead, they spent the majority of their time talking about what's wrong with the other party and how if those people over there are elected or re-elected, it will ruin everything. Judgment, contrary to the commands against it by Jesus, is our favorite cup of tea. And whenever we hate the sin... We jump on top of these pedestals of our own creation so that we can look down upon everybody else. And Jesus spent the whole of his ministry with sinners. Drunks, prostitutes, thieves, murderers, traitors, countless others who sinned against the Lord. You know, people kind of like us. Jesus routinely chose to gather with the likes of the worst to break bread, to offer healing, and perhaps most importantly, to offer them the most precious gift that he had, his time. And he said to all of those sinners, follow me. But Jesus never, not even once, said to any of them, I love you, but I hate your sin. Instead, when Jesus encountered the utter depravity of those in his midst, he offered them, strangely enough, forgiveness. But we, we are not like Jesus. we regularly fail to love the other as brother and the stranger as sister. We see the world and all of its wrongness, and we believe deep in our bones that the problems of the world can be blamed entirely on other people. Even preachers like me, we fall into this trap. Friends, just take a gander at some of the sermons that are online from this period with the pandemic. There's a pretty good chance that if you just skim through any of them, you'll find me standing right here wearing perhaps a slightly different outfit, calling out the mistakes of other people. I mean, this whole sermon series, That's Not in the Bible, is all about calling into question Christian types who use these non-biblical expressions, which at the end of the day is remarkably judgmental. And yet, irony notwithstanding, saying love the sinner, hate the sin, it makes us purveyors of judgment. It gives us the space to ridicule and belittle those with whom we disagree, all while maintaining some semblance of a Christian disposition. But whenever we fall back to that frame of reference, whenever we use love the sinner, hate the sin as the means by which we can justify our judgments, we fail to see and recognize the logs we have in our own eyes. Should we then pretend that sin doesn't exist and that we can continue merrily doing whatever we want whenever we want? Of course not. There is sin in the world. There's plenty of it. But before we go pointing out all those other sins out there, we would all do well to take a good, hard look in the mirror. Because all of us make bad choices. All of us avoid doing things we know we should do. We flock together with like-minded judgments against others, and we keep dropping these vaguely Christian expressions that just aren't in the Scriptures. And in the end, Jesus looks right at us, 
right into the depths of our being with all of our judgments. And he says, you know, I forgive you, log and all. And that's a rather staggering thing. It's staggering because we don't deserve it. Just look at the parables. More often than not, they end with someone throwing out the ledger book or offering forgiveness before receiving an apology or being invited to a banquet they have no business attending. Just look at Jesus' life. Pronouncing forgiveness from the cross, reconciling with the abandoning and the, the, the abandoning and the denying disciples up in the upper room, or choosing the murderous Paul to be the chief evangelist of the first century. God in Christ knows the prejudices we're ashamed of. God knows the golden calves we worship instead of him. God sees all of our self-righteous indignation. And still God says, I forgive you, log and all. God has read every email we've crafted out of anger, but we're too afraid to send. God witnesses the manifold ways we lie to our families and our friends, even ourselves. God knows our internet search histories, and God still says, I forgive you, log and all. God is there with us in the comment sections on Facebook. God hears the sighs we offer in response to those on the opposite end of the political spectrum from us. God knows about the biggest mistake we've ever made, and God still says, I forgive you, log and all. Love the sinner, hate the sin. And we say it, we read it, we might even live by it or think we live by it, but love the sinner, hate the sin, it creates more problems than it solves. Sure, loving sinners is what we're supposed to do, but it often results in us lording it over those whom we deem sinners without ever taking a look in the mirror to see ourselves as sinners in the first place. Lording it over others doesn't sound a whole lot like love. Loving sinners is, of course, the aim of the church, but most of the time we fail. We've got logs too big in our own eyes to do much of anything. Thanks be to God, then, for Jesus Christ, who loves us in spite of us, who forgives us in spite of the logs we have in our own eyes. Thanks be to God for Jesus, who knows us better than we know ourselves, and who still says, I forgive you, log and all. And so I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, humble us before the cross of your Son, our Lord Jesus of Nazareth, so that through the Spirit we may join in one body, the church, thus becoming your one mighty prayer for the world. Lord, your grace terrorizes and sustains us. So we pray today for the courage to be your people today. Invade our lives, robbing us of fear and envy, so we might begin to trust one another in the process of doing so, discover a bit of the truth. We are all the sinners for whom your son died. And all God's people say, Amen. God has gathered us together. God has proclaimed God's word, and we respond to what God has said with the giving of ourselves, our time, our efforts, but also our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings. I encourage you to give with glad and generous hearts to the ministries of Cokesbury United Methodist Church, you can do so by using the online donation option, which is through the link in the video description. 
you can give by sending a check through the mail to the church, or if you live locally, you can uh, drop off your offering. We have a drop slot by the main office doors. Additionally, this afternoon, we're having a service outside at 4 o'clock. You can also bring your offering there because we will take up an offering during the service. Uh, But give with glad and generous hearts that we might continue to be a church that helps everyone to see that we are in this thing together, that we are all the sinners for whom Christ died, but that that difference makes all the difference. Another way that we like to respond to what God has done and said is by affirming our faith using something like the Apostles' Creed. So I encourage you now to join me in affirming your faith. If you're unsure of the words, you can find them in the All Night Bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. In addition to uh, the ways that we've been responding through worship uh, during this time, I've tried to imagine other ways that we can also respond to what God has said during the week in between Sundays. And this week, I'd like us to think about Sinners coming to the gospel feast. Come, sinners, to the gospel feast. Let every soul be Jesus' guest. Ye need not one be left behind, for God hath bid all humankind. This week, uh, compared to every other week, you could do something very different, and that is you can join us and respond to what God has said by coming to church this afternoon at 4 o'clock for a service of word and sacrament to have communion. I'll be leading us with prayers and scripture and a brief homily, but most importantly, with communion. One of the great joys of communion, of partaking in the bread and the cup together, is the recognition that none of us deserve it, but that God gives it to us anyway. That's an incredible and wonderful piece of the gospel truth. If you're unable to join us for the service, the drive-in service this afternoon, well, then I encourage you to reflect on the last time you were able to partake in communion, the people you gathered with around the table at that particular moment, and how the meal is a foretaste of, of the supper of the Lamb that has no end. So whether you can join us or not, think about communion and how it is a way for us to think about who we are and whose we are. With that, I'd like to offer you this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, help you to know, see, and believe that we are loved by God, log and all, and that makes all the difference. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to seeing you, some of you, this afternoon, and if not, next week, same time, same place. Go in peace and be well. Amen. I uh, know. All right, we're going to do amen. This is only got one word in it. Ready? Amen.